cutting down on commercial crime. The majority of them happening since the pandemic started on March 12th. VPD bust prolific offenders they believe carried out a lot of break-ins. Conventions and concerts still off the table. The devastation to our business is quite significant. Event planners desperate for a change in pandemic precautions. And a summer of staycations. We really need some direction on travel restrictions. How phase two restrictions have family travel plans in limbo. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. With commercial break-in and enters still soaring during the COVID-19 shutdown, Vancouver police say they've busted a two-man crime wave. The two Burnaby residents now face a combined 70 charges. As Jordan Armstrong reports, some business owners are growing more frustrated about the fact chronic offenders are on the streets. So we can see that a small number of people are having a huge impact on our businesses in our communities. Two chronic offenders, both out on bail for previous charges, have been rearrested, accused in a string of commercial break and enters in Vancouver and surrounding municipalities. These two individuals were uh, responsible for upwards of 70 different counts uh, and close to 20 break and enters. Burnaby resident 44-year-old Shane Duhamel was arrested April 3rd. VPD say since then, investigators have linked him to other cases. Same goes for 33-year-old Jesse Polanio of Burnaby. He was picked up March 29th. Both men remain in custody today. These offenses drew back to November, with the majority of them happening since the pandemic started on March 12th. It's been a big concern. Actually, right around the corner, all the windows were smashed in about four or five businesses. The owner of downtown dress shop, Blushing Boutique, is pleased that police are cracking down on commercial property crime, but she worries the justice system may be too soft on chronic offenders. It is very frustrating. These are the guys that come in and grab a rack of dresses and run out to a car that's waiting right out front. They're organized. Over on Robson Street, where many retailers remain boarded up to deter looting, the local business association says the crime spike has added insult to injury. It was just an additional blow to our businesses. Police expect their stepped-up patrols will net more suspects in the weeks ahead. While business break-ins remain a problem, investigators feel they're making a dent. We are still up around 24% on average around the city, but compared to almost a 100% increase, which we had seen in late April, we feel that these measures are working. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Two people are dead after a fire at a mobile home in Britannia Beach. The B.C. Coroner Service is investigating the deaths of a man in his late 30s and a woman in her late 40s. Their names have not been released. Neighbours say the mobile home was engulfed in flames last night. Squamish RCMP are also investigating. The cause of the fire is still unknown. Turns out a man sought by police in an attack on a woman on a bus is dead. In mid-April, the 48-year-old man allegedly made racist comments about two women of Asian descent and then violently assaulted a bystander who tried to intervene. Police say he died of an apparent drug overdose about a week after the incident. He was identified through tips from the public and was well known to police. 
Another day of relatively low numbers in the COVID-19 pandemic in this province. We have 16 new cases for a total now of 2,376 and one more death, which means we've now lost 132 people from complications of the coronavirus. And while the trend is encouraging, as Keith Baldry reports, healthcare officials are doubling down on a warning ahead of the long weekend. It's about, you know, location, duration, and relations. It's the latest catchphrase from Dr. Bonnie Henry, one to guide you when it comes to where you go, how long you stay, and who you are with during this pandemic. The more people we have contact with, the more chances that we have of spreading this virus. So we are in contact with them. We're in contact with their contacts as well. So smaller groups. The case numbers continue to be encouraging as hospitalizations and ICU cases are dropping in number on a daily basis and recoveries gain more each day. Much of the briefing today was spent on walking people through various scenarios we will encounter this summer, like how to hold a backyard barbecue with friends. Space your chairs away from each other so that households are together. That way you can enjoy each other's company without having the risk. We've talked about this before, but you know, there's two ways we can, we can increase the number of people we have contact with, and we need to do that very judiciously, or we can increase the safe contacts that we have. And she pointed out there's no real tightly worded rule book on our new normal. It's up to everyone to figure it out. Lots of people really want clear rules that apply to everybody. But the reality is that our path forward is individual based on our own unique circumstances. And that goes for businesses as well. And she did clarify a potentially confusing point. The big reopening day is set for May 19th. Yet restaurants and hair salons are restricted or closed by a public health order that does not expire until May 30th. Today, she said that date will change. I will be amending the orders. The orders for salons and other personal service establishments will look at them meeting specific guidelines before they're allowed to open, but that could be as early as the 19th. Same for restaurants, so I'll be amending that order as well, and that's in the works right now. Keith Baldry joins us with more now. Premier John Horgan also held a press conference today, Keith, and he was asked again about uh, NHL hockey and the role <laughs> our province might play. Yeah, this thing seems to be picking up some momentum. I don't think a lot of people took this seriously when it was first raised, really as a problem. But today, uh, Premier John Horgan, very ambitious plan of what he sees potentially, stress the word potentially, happening in British Columbia if the N NHL comes to town. It's not just Vancouver he's talking about. We've got a lot of arenas in a lot of other cities as well. Here's the Premier. I believe we're in a good place to host. Uh, that's why I uh, uh, contacted the commissioner. The Canucks have been working uh, very cooperatively with my minister. We've heard from others around the, the league that have other ideas about perhaps having all of the games played uh, in British Columbia. We have uh, WHL uh, rinks in Victoria, in Kamloops, in Kelowna, in Prince George. Uh, the Kootenays have, uh, in, in uh, Cranbrook, has an outstanding facility as well. We have hotel space. So the, the, the sky is really the limit. So the logistics are enormous, of course. You've got to bring hundreds of people into BC. They've got to self-isolate uh, for 14 days. That quarantine period would apply to NHL players coming in. And it's not just the players, the whole support staff. You've got medical personnel, trainers, uh, even the, the people who drive the buses of, of them between the hotels and the rinks. They'd have to be in self-isolation as well. Uh, and the TV broadcasting crews, too. So enormous hurdles to cross. But the fact that you've got the Premier of BC talking to the NHL commissioner in a lengthy phone call yesterday is an indication this is being taken seriously. Something to hope for. Thank you, Keith.
Now a question that's on the minds of many British Columbians. What will summer holidays look like? Health officials have suggested that travel within the province will get the green light soon. But as Richard Zussman reports, that doesn't guarantee visitors will be welcome. Tofino's beaches are one of the province's most attractive spots to kick off summer. But with the May long weekend on the horizon, the community is telling people to stay away. We're asking people to please follow the advice of the province of Dr. Bonnie Henry and to stay home. The message the same from Premier John Horgan. British Columbia is not open for business yet, even for those living here. For now, we want people to stay close to home. So that's the message I'd like to deliver. But all that will eventually change. The province will be gearing up an aggressive marketing campaign to keep British Columbians at home this summer and help pump money back into tourism-based communities across the province. I think that will be a real focus, is to look at visitors from other parts of the province, at least for the foreseeable future. But when people will be told it's safe to travel within BC or whether international borders will even open, is still unclear. To encourage staycations, one idea is for government to match dollars. For every dollar spent in the tourism sector by British Columbians, the government would provide an additional dollar to the operator. But it's really difficult to talk about how we're going to deal with July and August and September when we're right in the heart of May and we're trying to give the message to British Columbians that we're not there yet. Closed borders, one challenge for the industry. The other will be getting people to travel who have been hit hard financially due to the pandemic or who are just going back to work. The tourism-based communities aren't sure when visitors who have been shunned during the pandemic will be welcomed back with open arms. It's really important for everybody to feel comfortable. So that's our visitors, it's the people who live here in this community and the people who live in the surrounding communities. The province's most popular locations aren't worried about people wanting to come back, only concerned about it being done slowly and very carefully. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. YVR is getting a new chief executive at what is likely the most turbulent time of its existence. After 13 years on the job, Van City CEO Tamara Vrooman is stepping down and taking on the role of president and CEO of the Vancouver Airport Authority. The airport has seen passenger numbers plummet and layoffs started this week. Vrooman will be starting her job at the airport July 1st. Well, there could be a change coming to liquor purchasing rules to help the struggling restaurant industry. New rules are being fast-tracked that would allow restaurants to purchase beer, wine and spirits at the wholesale price. Currently, the industry must purchase alcohol at the same retail prices consumers pay. The provincial government is also looking at streamlining the rules to approve outdoor eating spaces. Under the current plan, restaurants will be able to reopen starting next week. But it's expected one in ten will not have survived the COVID-19 shutdown. It functionally means more uh, money in the pocket of the business owner, uh, which enables the business to survive. Uh, when you have uh, fewer customers, and we know the restaurant industry is already on very thin margins, uh, that could make a very significant difference in between staying open or closing forever. Conferences and conventions bring tens of thousands of visitors to BC every year, and they are big business for hotels, restaurants, and attractions. But under the province's reopening plan, those large gatherings simply are not going to happen anytime soon. It has the industry getting creative, hoping some of the events could still be held. Brad McLeod reports. In tourist hub Victoria, 
float plane traffic tame, the ferry from Seattle docked, and hotels largely vacant. But tourists aren't the only ones who should be cramming the capital. Conventioneers also bring in the bucks. We've lost hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. Pretty much 100% cancelled since probably mid-March up until now. My order limiting um, public gatherings to fewer than 50 people remains in place. Despite a pleasant delivery, it's a bitter pill. We literally have no way to be working. Runnels is responsible for running events like these. We're asking them to potentially allow for larger gatherings if the venue size is big enough or if it's an outdoor space. A big ask, especially after the deadly dental convention held at the beginning of March in Vancouver. Dozens infected with COVID and one doctor died. So it's no surprise large conventions, concerts and weddings fall all the way to phase four in BC's restart plan. Essentially only viable when there's a vaccine. But those in the business of creating crowds want to be creative. Citing how large stores can exceed 50 people inside if done safely. And what if convention spaces are separated by streets like in Victoria? Could a larger group physically split? And um, could, those, could those be practical solutions? We're trying to grab everything we can and steal the best ideas that we're seeing out there. And then how can we make them part of a BC solution to, to these type of events going forward? The province consistent. This order will remain in place for the foreseeable future. Some businesses won't survive that long. For those that can, a request for at least a clearer roadmap to help plan. Um, we have the 50, and then we meet, maybe need a bit of a time frame as to when we can move to 75 or 100, 150. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. The entertainment industry faces a tipping point. How some of Vancouver's iconic nightclubs and venues are handling the COVID closures and why opening again had better happen fast in just over a minute. A West Coast researcher wins the jackpot for protecting the humble seahorse. That's coming up later on the News Hour. And goats gone wild. How this herd made a break for it in a Northern California neighborhood. No kidding. <laughs> Phase two in COVID recovery is almost here, but people won't be returning to nightclubs and bars anytime soon. They'll be among the last to reopen, and that might not even happen until a vaccine is widely available. The big question is, will those venues be able to survive a closure that could stretch another year or even longer? Grace Key reports. The turntables are no longer spinning at Vancouver's iconic Celebrities Nightclub. The industry is in a panic after learning they're in the last phase of the province's reopening plan. Right now we just feel as an industry like we're just twisting in the wind um, to a larger extent than anybody else. We are the first closed and we're going to be the last to open. Phase four includes activities requiring large gatherings. The date yet to be determined. And it depends on at least one of the following. Wide vaccination, community immunity, or broad successful treatment. With live music, art and fashion shows, Celebrities is also a live event venue. And the industry is trying to come up with a reopening plan. It's really kind of early days in a way because we know that we're so far out. You can't socially distance the dance floor. So what do we do? As we get our ideas together, we're kind of 
working with government and hopefully out of that some sort of rolling timeline. The historic Rio Theatre was saved after a campaign to buy the building on East Broadway, and that's put them in a better position during the pandemic. But as another live event venue, there are challenges ahead. And we can open for social distancing movies with only 50 people, but uh, we certainly can't really, you know, survive long term that way. The province is looking at ways to help the arts and culture and creative industry sector. How they're hurting, why they're hurting, what what the impacts of COVID-19 are on them and the industry. And I'm really confident that together as a group that we're going to be able to put together a, a, a good relief and recovery plan for the music industry moving forward. This space has been um, a dance club or a ballroom or something of that nature for over 100 years. When you start losing your cultural institutions, what are we left with? The industry is trying to make sure these limited theater and culture venues will still be here when the pandemic is over. Grace Key, Global News. One day after unveiling its 2020 prize home, the PNE says it's facing a big financial loss this year and hoping for help from the government. The PNE is going ahead with this year's prize home despite the fact there will be no fare. Revenue from the lottery is crucial to the survival of the nonprofit organization. Despite that, the PNE says it's projected to lose $52 million in gross revenue this year with net losses of just over $10 million. We took some swift action early on to reduce our expenses wherever we could. And so, we, unfortunately, we had to do a lot of layoffs. Um, and we have worked with our lenders to do things like defer our capital payments. Um, and we have reduced expenses on, on every front of the organization, everywhere that we could. And I, I'm proud of the fact that we've been able to get down to only a $10.5 million loss. But at the same time, you know, it's, uh, we've, been, we've been profitable and we've been adding surplus every year. Uh, and really poised for great growth. So it's definitely a setback. The PE says it doesn't qualify for any of the business relief programs currently available, but it is working with government to try to change the eligibility requirements. Up ahead, COVID divorce. Definitely in the last three to four weeks, I have received more inquiries. Why a lot of relationships won't survive the coronavirus pandemic. Also tonight, millions made available to boost struggling students. But is it enough? Final clearing stages of a stall here in Port Coquitlam eastbound on Lowheat Highway at Colony Farm in the left lane. At Kermat Collision and Auto Glass, the safety and well-being of their employees, customers, and community is their top priority. For essential vehicle repair information, please visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the stall on Lowheat Highway. Starting Friday, post-secondary students and recent graduates who lost their jobs due to the pandemic will be able to apply for emergency financial aid. It's part of a $9 billion program first announced by the Prime Minister three weeks ago, and Ted Chernecki has the details. Normally, at this time of year, a university campus would be much busier. Students are still fretting over final exams, but they're doing it online. And more than ever, they're fretting over finding a summer job that probably isn't there to be found. Some students will simply go home. But then you have a lot of students that are stuck away from home or stuck and can't go home or stuck because they have a, a, a long-term lease agreement because they're preparing for the following semester, that that 1250 might not go far enough. So today, details of the Canada Emergency Student Benefits Program available this Friday. Qualified post-secondary students can apply for $1,250, 2000 if there are dependents involved, for each four-week period from May to August. 
Even some graduating high school students can apply. If a job is found, you can earn up to $1,000 a month. It's all taxable, but no repayment required. It also requires students to prove that they're looking for work at the same time. So while everybody else is being told to stay home, not volunteer, not go to work, stay inside as much as possible, students are being told to go out and find jobs and to go out and volunteer. So essentially students are being asked to risk their safety in order to try and get this support money that they so desperately need. We have 1,600 part-time staff not working right now and 2,500 uh, summer and seasonal jobs that won't get hired this year. And there are so many students that have been calling in and you know they depend on us to be able to pay their way through school the next year. There's an even larger picture to consider. Students that graduate into a recession see 10 to 20 percent lower lifetime earnings as a result of the date of their graduation compared to somebody who graduates into normal times. $12.50 a month for four months will undoubtedly mean some students won't be returning in the fall because even the bank of mom and dad probably has its own issues. Ted Chernaki, Global News. A controversial Chilliwack school trustee has apologized for derogatory comments he made about Canada's top doctor. Barry Newfeld's recent social media post sparked outrage. His remarks downplayed the dangers of COVID-19 and took aim at the reputation of Dr. Teresa Tam, suggesting that Dr. Tam might be concealing her gender and was not trustworthy. He also accused the World Health Organization of perpetrating fear. He apologized for the comments last Last night during a school board meeting via Zoom. I deeply regret and apologize for my recent comments on social media. I will be addressing them more fully in the near future. I feel that Mr. Neufeld's comments are not reflective of the Chilliwack education community. Chilliwack public school doors are open to all with no exceptions. Uh, we want to make sure that Chilliwack schools are a safe, and welcoming environment for all. Thousands have signed an online petition demanding Newfeld be removed from his post with the school district. In 2017, comments he made about transgender children led to calls for his dismissal as trustee. The COVID-19 crisis is putting a lot of strain on relationships and some couples are really struggling. As Catherine Urquhart reports, some divorce lawyers are reporting an increase in calls for their services. Please come take him right off my hands. This parody about a relationship during the pandemic is pretty funny. But for those struggling with fractured marriages, it's no laughing matter. Now, as many are forced into isolation with that spouse, it's prompting some tough decisions. The little things that maybe usually you can put aside that don't bother you as much right now are being blown up. Definitely in the last three to four weeks, I have received more inquiries, both of an urgent nature and uh, just general inquiries about the process of separation and divorce. According to Statistics Canada, about 40% of marriages end in a separation or divorce. The average duration of a marriage, 14 years. But will the pandemic prompt people to exit faster? Cases of domestic violence have increased and more people are having affairs? People, yeah, are going either outside the house to seek relationships and in a lot of ways actually putting their partners at risk because most often the partners aren't aware that this is actually happening. For those who feel trapped and are waiting to leave. I'm quite busy right now helping people outside of court, figuring out parenting arrangements, child support, spousal support, 
and uh, property and asset division, and you don't need the courts to do that. You just need the courts to eventually get your divorce. Confinement combined with financial stress will undoubtedly push some marriages to a breaking point. How many will surely depend on the duration of this pandemic? Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Just ahead, America's leading doctor under fire from President Trump. To me, it's not an acceptable answer. Dr. Anthony Fauci's warning about reopening too soon. Also tonight, better check on the kids. The impact isolation can have on them coming up later. Join Global BC as we gene up this May to support BC Children's Hospital Foundation. Grab those genes, post that pic, and donate at geneup.ca. And let's help BC kids get out of their hospital gowns and back into their genes. Good evening and some good news on the Delta side of the Alex Fraser Bridge. Just cleared an accident on the Nordell off-ramp. Traffic is moving well both north and south. To help you stay safe and at home, Lowe's is offering free parcel shipping and curbside pickup with online purchases at Lowe's.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Former Donald Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort has been released from a Pennsylvania prison to serve the rest of his seven-and-a-half-year sentence under home confinement. The 71-year-old's attorneys asked for home confinement because of COVID-19 fears and Manafort's underlying health concerns. Manafort was sentenced last year as a result of former special counsel Robert Mueller's probe into Russian election meddling. Donald Trump is rejecting the advice of his top infectious disease expert on reopening the U.S. economy. Trump calling Dr. Anthony Fauci's warning yesterday about opening too soon not acceptable. President Trump tonight slamming the stark warning from Dr. Anthony Fauci against reopening the country too soon. Look, he wants to play all sides of the equation. I was surprised by his answer, actually, uh, because, uh, you know, uh, it's just... To me, it's not an acceptable answer, especially when it comes to schools. During Tuesday's Senate hearing, Dr. Fauci was asked whether colleges and schools could feel safe welcoming students back in the fall. He said that would largely depend on the availability of testing. Fauci's call for caution clashing with the president's push to lift restrictions, fueling growing fatigue among some Republicans. I think it's very important that we not let any one person dictate what we do in the economy. It comes as yet another top government health official is set to deliver a different dire warning to Congress about the coronavirus crisis. Ousted vaccine expert Dr. Rick Bright set to tell a House committee tomorrow that the U.S. faces the darkest winter in modern history if it does not develop a more coordinated national response to the pandemic. Dr. Bright filed a whistleblower complaint last week, alleging that he was forced from his job for opposing the wide use of unproven coronavirus treatments embraced by President Trump. His comments coinciding with new reporting from the Associated Press about the CDC's reopening guidance, which was shelved by the White House. The AP reporting that the recommendations were much more detailed than previously known, offering states specific guidance on when communities should allow for non-essential travel and recommendations on when to shut down again in the event of future flare-ups of the virus. The White House said the document had not been cleared by CDC Director Dr. Robert Redfield. Those are guidelines in draft form that a rogue employee has given you. But the AP reports that internal emails show that Redfield did sign off and repeatedly asked the White House to approve the release beginning more than a month ago. 
Meantime, word tonight that the rapid coronavirus test from Abbott Laboratories, which the White House uses to test the president and those around him, may miss as many as half of positive cases. That's according to a new report from NYU Langone Health. The company is disputing the findings, saying the outcomes in this paper are inconsistent with any experience that we've had with this instrument. The FDA telling NBC News the agency is reviewing the NYU report. COVID-19 isolation is tough on all of us, but there is concern it might have long-term effects on youth. Nadia Stewart has more on how one organization is trying to help and what Dr. Bonnie Henry is saying tonight about children and teens getting back to socializing. For Gay Burgess, it has been a rough couple of months. It's been quite um, tough not seeing my friends. Like so many his age, being less social has not been easy. It's been somewhat difficult, obviously. I think you grow to understand the importance of activities for these guys especially. And those who work with youth say COVID-19 restrictions has been tough on teens and preteens. What we know developmentally and from a research perspective is that social isolation is one of the things we worry about the most with young people. Carolyn Tuckwell is the president of the South Coast Boys and Girls Clubs. She says they went from seeing a thousand kids a day at their facilities across the Lower Mainland to connecting with them online. Like so many organizations, it's about maintaining contact even from afar. What we have been doing is trying to engage with them as much as possible in the virtual world. So that's 100 to 150 different virtual sessions that we're offering to young people in our clubs to come in and experience a club at home kind of experience. Thank you, frontline workers. Rana Habibi and many other youth in the clubs, this is what togetherness from a distance looks like. They produced and edited this video and are looking forward to when they can see each other in person again. It's been a little bit hard. It's like Obviously, like, not seeing my friends is like, it's like a bummer. Dr. Bonnie Henry offering this advice to teens hoping to widen their social circle. Find those people that you really, it's important for you to spend that time with and keep them small and consistent. Make an agreement with them that you'll be part of of their bubble and they can be part of yours. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Coming up, we've got Project Seahorse. When I talked about seahorses, everybody would listen. The woman just recognized for her work to protect this fascinating species. And in sports, backup goalie Thatcher Demko and his battle to stay in game shape. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A UBC professor is celebrating an amazing achievement tonight, having been awarded the world's number one prize in animal conservation. As Linda Aylesworth reports, her work to save seahorses has also benefited other marine life. Ever since Dr. Amanda Vincent learned that male, not female, seahorses got pregnant, she's been devoted to their study. I became fascinated by these animals, enamored of them. And then I realized they were wonderful flagship animals. When I talked about seahorses, everybody would listen. And so she became not just the first scientist to study seahorses underwater, but through them, an advocate for other species. We were able to put in place the first ever export regulations for marine fishes using seahorses as the flagship species, the first species. And that has now extended 
to sharks and rays and eels and reef fish. In so doing, she elevated the status of all fish to more than merely food, which would help her in her efforts to stop some of their greatest threats, like bottom trawling. Essentially, you drop very heavy nets, they're weighted, and you rake and gouge and scrape the bottom of the ocean. Bottom trawling not only destroys the habitat on the ocean floor, it scoops up everything in its path, including seahorses, which are then sold for traditional medicine. We have no quarrel with the use in traditional medicine. Our challenge is to make certain that use is sustainable. And to that end, we've worked with the Hong Kong Chinese Medicine Merchants Association. Dr. Vincent and her team at Project Seahorse, which operates out of UBC, have also worked with communities around the world to create 35 protected marine areas. For her decades-long dedication, she recently became the first Canada-based recipient of the Indianapolis Award. The Indianapolis Prize is as close to a Nobel Prize as my field will ever get. But it's also an amazing opportunity because I can really try to tell stories about the ocean that I hope will lead people to recognize its vital importance in all human lives. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Go, go, go. (laughs) A Northern California neighborhood invaded by goats. The good idea that came off the rails right after the forecast. Turned out to be a bad idea. Oh, God. (laughs) Wait, did I roll my eyes? Yeah, I think it was a virtual (laughs) eye roll. Uh, And uh, Christy's probably doing the same thing uh, over there in North Van. Although, did I see some sunshine a little bit breaking through earlier? Yes, you did. And a little bit right now, but it's brief. That's for sure. We still do have a chance of showers. I'm under my umbrella because we've had a few sprinkles here in North Van and certainly across Vancouver Island. You're seeing that. Here's a quick look at the radar imagery. So we are expecting unsettled conditions across the south coast into tomorrow morning and just along the southern edge. You can certainly see some lightning strikes there. So watch out for that this evening. Most of them are dying down, but uh, keep your eye out for thunderstorms. Uh, Arctic front pushing into northeast. Can you believe it? We're talking about snow for these areas yes overnight tonight you can expect anywhere from 10 to 15 centimeters of snow the biggest concern will be along the alaska highway so from steamboat mountain to the summit lake so that corridor uh, those areas are expecting up to 15 centimeters but even southern bc peace river could see snowfall into tomorrow morning just far less that will push out by late morning and most areas will uh, see drier but cloudy conditions by the afternoon southern bc a uh, still a chance of shower for you tomorrow but it's very slight chance otherwise a mix of sun and cloud and for south coast region a 40 to 60 percent chance mainly through the early part of the day tomorrow breaks a blue sky towards dinner time tomorrow and friday certainly looks like the bright patch or the bright spot with a mix of sun and cloud before the rain returns saturday afternoon here's your central windows weather window from uh, gordon cook in hope he says these are gorgeous you don't see them very often it's a pink pacific dogwood and uh, that is really stunning thanks to gordon for sharing that with us all right from one gordon to another gordon back to you guys (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you very much christy that looks like paradise do you have any more dad jokes not at the moment but you know they're coming (laughs) a neighborhood in san jose brought in some of nature's lawnmowers to deal with dead grass on a hillside everything went well at first go 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 Yeah, that was until the herd of nearly 200 goats managed to knock over an electrified fence and make a run for greener pastures. 
It only took about five minutes for a rancher to herd the goats back to where they were supposed to be, but some of them did manage to munch on neighborhood flowers and bushes. No one was hurt. Some gardens took a little bit of a, a hit, though. Why do they all go together? Like, See, yeah, if you're going to make a jailbreak, you got to split up. Right. Like, quit following me, man. We're all going <laughs> to get right. caught. You go that way, I go this way. Yeah, we work together to get out. Yeah. And then each to their own yeah. devices. Call me when Good you luck. get to Sacramento. Good luck, boys. Uh, all right, what's coming up in sports? <laughs> all right, so if the NHL comes back, and it wants to, Thatcher Demko says players have to be careful, and not just about coronavirus. We can't just uh, be off the ice for this long and then expect to come back at it full force like we were in March. We will talk to the Canucks netminder as he waits for the call to come back. Also tonight, working from home forever. How it could be the rule instead of the exception for some companies, even after the COVID crisis is over. Well, we've heard from Premier Horgan about the possibility of bringing the NHL here to Vancouver. And he spoke with Gary Batman last night, Squire. So what does Batman have to say about it? Well, you know, I heard Premier Horgan talk about B.C. just as an aside very quickly. I don't know if the NHL would want to go far afield to Kamloops or Prince George or anything like that. But there are a lot of arenas between here and Abbotsford that could handle the NHL. Rogers, UBC, Coliseum perhaps, Langley Event Center out in Abbotsford. There are quite a few around here. Uh, NHL boss Gary Bettman says there is no thought whatsoever to canceling this season. He says he has not even contemplated it. All discussions, all plans, like the discussion he had with Premier Horgan, are about how to restart the season. The NHL, though, still has not opened any of its team facilities yet. Uh, They are hoping to do that by the end of the month so players could start to skate again, obviously in small groups. Now, if the NHL does come back to finish this season, Thatcher Demko would once again be the backup goalie in Vancouver because Jacob Markstrom would be healthy enough to start again. Remember, if the pandemic had not happened, it would have been Demko playing practically every game down the stretch to try to get the Canucks in the playoffs because Markstrom was hurt. Demko is right now at his home in San Diego waiting for word to come back to work just like every other hockey player. Here's a chance for the Blue Jackets to break out. Dubois, he's got Benstrom with him. Dubois shoots and a glove saved by Demko. His toughest test of the game yet. This is probably the most time I've been off the ice since I was eight or nine years old. So uh, it's definitely uh, an odd feeling. Um, a feeling that you know, it can be overwhelming sometimes. You know, you just don't really feel like you're, you're yourself. Tough to feel like yourself when normal feels like a lifetime ago. It's been two months since Thatcher Demko was on the ice. He remains at home in San Diego, minus his hockey equipment. Demko hasn't skated, worked out at a real gym, and like the rest of us, is doing his best not to round into a couch potato. For me especially, I find, like, it takes a little bit of time for me to get, to get back to being sharp on the ice. It's going to be tough, uh, I think, just just getting back into on-ice shape. Um, you know, we're able to do these in-home workouts, and, and those have been good. But, you know, there's definitely something to be said, uh, you know, the difference between being in, in off-ice shape and on-ice shape. So 
that'll definitely take, uh, for me at least, uh, a couple weeks. There's still so much to be decided, like what will an NHL return look like? Will the Canucks even play at Rogers Arena? Are NHL players who live outside of Canada going to be forced to quarantine for two weeks? And above all, is a safe return to hockey even possible? I think the two things when you think about safety are obviously the coronavirus and making sure that our bases are covered um, with guys contracting that and and really being more exposed to it, being around teammates and being around other teams, being around staff at the rink, what have you. But, you know, I think for, for the other part of it, it's just us not being on the ice for this long and then being thrown into a, a training camp. Like, guys are going to be have to going to have to be really careful and, and ease into things, you know. We can't just uh, be off the ice for this long and then expect to come back at it full force like we were in March. Um you know, guys' bodies are, are in different conditions, different shapes um, as they were, you know, in March. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of things on the uh, safety aspect side of it. And, um, you know, that's that's one of the things I think that the, the league and the union and the players are trying to all work out. The Los Angeles Rams revealed their new uniforms today, the blue and yellow, still the predominant color. The light jersey will now be more off-white. Bone is what they're calling it. Although in football, I'm not so sure you want to be wearing something called bone. How about oatmeal? Ecru. Or water chestnut, perhaps macaroon cream. They all sound much safer, don't they? <laughs> I say ecru. What did you say? Ecru. I don't know. Ecru, is that, yeah? I think it's Parchment, good. that's another one. Dove's wing. Dove's wing. Dove's there wing. you go. Perfect for football. All right, here's Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News at 11, Jay. Thank you, Chris. New measures to get Vancouver businesses back on their feet on the agenda on Vancouver City Council tonight. Just minutes ago, councillors voted to allow more flexible patio types, expansion on the curb lanes and sidewalks, as well as expedited permitting for restaurants. And the Vancouver Park Board is delaying the reopening of its five outdoor pools. And lifeguards won't be back on beaches until it can ensure swimmers and staff are safe from COVID-19. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. All right, Jay, thank you. Up next, how your home office could end up being your only office even after the pandemic is over. It's time to recognize one of your BC healthcare heroes working tirelessly on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. Tonight's nomination comes from Becky Lone, and Becky says Joy Huddleston is her healthcare hero. Joy takes care of Becky's mother, who has dementia and has been in the Shorncliffe long-term care home in Seashell since last year. Becky says Joy is helping her mom through these trying times, providing her treats, keeping her company, and entertained and engaged through her confusion. Also, Joy has been arranging Skype chats and sends Becky pictures to help out with the separation. Becky says Joy is one of the most dedicated workers and devoted human beings imaginable. And that's why Joy is her healthcare hero. Joy, we thank you for your commitment and compassion during this crisis. And thank you for bringing Joy to Becky and her family. If you have a BC Healthcare Hero to nominate, send an email to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Include some information about why they are your hero and a few photos, and you just might see them featured. All right, there is no doubt this COVID crisis has changed the way millions of people work. But there are new signs tonight that for many employees, working from home might not be temporary, and the ripple effect could be huge. 
For millions, the reality of working from home could be permanent. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey telling his employees they can work remotely forever from anywhere. As many industries grapple with how to redesign office space to minimize health risks, the historic economic crisis is also forcing companies to cut costs, potentially putting expensive real estate on the chopping block. NBC's Jacob Ward. Bay Area tech companies were among the very first in the nation to send their people home. And Google and Facebook now say that their employees will mostly work remote for the rest of the year. Some of New York's biggest tenants, Barclays and J.P. Morgan Chase, say they may not bring all employees back to the office at the same time. Austin-based Dell says more than half of its 160,000 staffers may never return to their desks. Emptier offices across the country will have a devastating ripple effect on local businesses. Many restaurants and bars rely on the weekday lunch rush and crowds at happy hour. Florists count on those big corporate orders and that bouquet on the way home. Even parking garages where business depends on commuters showing up to the office. With uh, people not working from home, there's definitely been a drop. While not every worker has the luxury of working from home, those who do could save money and time. The average commute adds up to 22 workdays a year, and you'd save up to $4,000 annually on that commute. Work clothing, dry cleaning, and yes, even coffee. For companies... It saves money, it increases productivity, it increases agility. And for the planet, we just cannot deny what this has done in a very short period of time. Redefining life and work at home sweet home. Jolene Kent, NBC News, Los Angeles. Well, Christy can come back at some point. That's right. At some point. We're not going to make you work from home forever, Christy. <laughs> we miss you in the studio here. It's kind of, this is kind of like our second home, and it'd be tough to... Yeah. to be at home through it all. But uh, mm -hmm. we'll throw it over to you for last word on weather before we sign off. Christy? Thanks so much. Well, I sure miss you guys as well, but uh, I'm needed here right now, which is mm -hmm. uh, good to be here. Uh, overnight tonight, we still do have a chance of showers tomorrow as well, but I think later in the day, much brighter, and certainly Friday looks like a good one with a mix of sun and cloud. Rain, though, over the weekend, though, everyone. So a bit of back and forth. Looks pretty good to me. That's all the time we have for tonight. Get out there and cheer on our healthcare heroes. Have a good night, all. Happy banging, everyone.